We're going to continue on in our book of Revelation. And again, this was a little bit of a struggle for me because I was saying, well, do I bless moms? Do I not? How do we do this, Lord? And I really feel like there's, there's something special in here for us as believers that we need to take a look at that comes back to that as well. So the church of Laodicea is the last of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. We, we have book, uh, chapter number one, we looked at, uh, well, well, the revelation that John had was he was supposed to write down uh, what, he, what he saw, what he was seeing, and what he was about to see. And so uh, Revelation chapter 1 is about what he saw. Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is about what he was seeing. That was the local churches. And this is actually Jesus through the angels speaking to the local churches. And next week we're going to go on and, and to look at the, some of the future events. Uh, but I want to tell you something about the book of, of uh, or about the church of Laodicea. Out of all the churches that we've looked at, all seven of them, the church of Laodicea, to me, um, we will read these next eight verses. It's, it is some of, I think, some of the greatest prophetic words about the United States of America that we'll see in, in all of Scripture. It's not specifically addressed to us, but as we read through these several verses, I want you to consider who we are as a nation in these, what I believe are the last days of the church age. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14, says, To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, and remember we, we said before this is Jesus speaking through the angels and he's telling John to write these things down. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. <clears throat> I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He's speaking to the church in Laodicea. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, Jesus said. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they will and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, on my throne, just as I was victorious, and I sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever hears, let them, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit of the Lord says to the church. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. Hello? Anybody there? If you just let me in. If you just let me, I'll come in and I'll sup with you. I'll come in and, and you, we can dine together. But you got to open the door. If you've ever seen that picture, take a look. Next time you see that picture, Jesus standing at this arched doorway and there's flowers. Take a close look. You will see that as he stands there and knocks, there is no doorknob on the outside. Jesus said, if you will open the door, if you will open the door, I'll come in. This is a picture. I believe this is a picture of where we are as a people. The church of, of Laodicea is a study of contrasts. From history, 
we can look at Laodicea. And again, I want you to, to uh, as we talk about this church, I want you to imagine the United States. Think about the United States. This was a specific church. I want you to realize that. It's a specific church. God had a specific word for them. But Laodicea is this proud and prosperous city as we review history, review not just what scripture says, but we can review also what other historians had to say about Laodicea. And yet, it played a minor role in the spread of Greek culture. Think about that from the perspective of the United States. It is an imposing, it has imposing fortifications that gave the appearance of strength and it promoting this, promoted this feeling of security, and yet Laodicea was actually in a valley. How many of you know from a, a, from a military standpoint, we, we talked about this with the Church of Philadelphia. Philadelphia was placed on a hill. It was a large city on a hill, so you could see your enemies coming. Laodicea is down in a valley. They can't see their enemies are coming at them. Their enemies, and not only that, they don't have their own water supply. Laodicea is dependent on other cities for their water supply. We're going to get to that in just a minute. So they are very, very vulnerable. Think about the United States. Laodicea was a banking center with a strong sense of independence. Their independent attitude is actually reflected in their name. If you go back and you look at the origin of the name of the, of the uh, city of Laodicea, according to Strong's Exhaustive Concordance and some other things that I look at, looked up, the, the name of Laodicea literally means in Greek, the people decide Or the people judge. Doesn't that remind us of the United States? Proud and prosperous. We do not, I'm sorry, we do not have nearly the influence in the world that we could or that we have or that we should as a people. Now, I'm not talking about American culture. I don't care about American culture. I'm telling you, I don't think we have nearly the influence on the world spiritually that we should have. We have been blessed we are a blessed nation. God has had his hand on us as a, as, a nature, as a nation for over 200 years. We are blessed, and yet as we have grown more and more prosperous, we've just kind of absorbed that blessing on ourselves, and we have not done. There's, there was a study done several years ago, um, and I'm, the name of the group slips me. Maybe it'll come to me. But this group did research, and they said if just the evangelical church in the United States, just the evangelical church in the United States, people who actually believe that Jesus is real, believe that, that if you turn to him, he'll forgive your sins, believe that you should be out promoting the gospel. If just the evangelical church in the United States would tithe, would give 10% of their income, we could eliminate all stupid poverty in the world in 10 years. By stupid poverty, they're saying any place in the world where you don't have drinking water, any place in the world where you don't have some kind of basic medical, any place in the world where, where kids are, are rummaging through the garbage dumps because they don't have food to eat every day. If just the church, the evangelical church in the United States would give 10%. I hear on a regular basis people telling me, well, I tithe 2%. The word tithe means 10%. So if you tithe 2%, you're not tithing. Whole nother conversation for a whole nother day, which we will have. Just put it on your calendar. I'm not sure when, but we're going to have that. And trust me, if you study giving in the Old Testament versus giving in the New Testament, you'll beg for 10% if you're afraid of tithing. You, you'll beg for the 10%. But here's the deal. 
we have had the opportunity to have so much influence in the world and yet we find at this point in our culture, third world countries are now sending evangelistic teams to the United States not because of our poverty but because of our depravity. Third world countries are sending evangelists because we're walking away from the gospel. We have the opportunity and yet we've, much like Laodicea, we've decided that we should judge. We're proud and we're prosperous and yet it doesn't seem like we have nearly the influence in the world that we should have. We appear to be strong as a nation like Laodicea and yet we've seen over the course of the last 20 years our own vulnerabilities. All I have to do is say 9-11 and you know our vulnerabilities Laodicea was a huge banking community. Well, what was wiped out during 9-11? Was it not, you know, the Twin Towers? There's so much financial stuff right taking place right there that that, that was threatened, destroyed. We're, uh, our motto, you know, if you look at it, we're, we're you know, we, the people, we're, we the people, by the people, for the people. We, we kind of make our own rules. We, we got statements like, we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Have you ever really thought of what that means? We've got boots on. Reach down and pick up your boots. Pull your, what does it mean to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? It's just as much of a folly as thinking that we don't need anybody or that we've got it all together. As a nation, our prosperity and our wealth have made us, as a nation, I'm just telling you, this is what I see, is what I believe, has made us arrogant. We do what we want. We don't really need anyone. And you can go to any college campus you can go to any street in America and talk to people about God and they'll tell you that they don't need God right I think if we're honest we would see that as a nation we've walked away from God Church of Laodicea, Jesus said, because you are lukewarm neither hot or cold I'm about to spit you out of my mouth now this verse in Revelation I think ranks as one of the mis- most misused verses in the Bible. In the last month alone, I've probably heard two or three speakers use, interpret this incorrectly. In the first three chapters of Revelation, we find seven letters that Jesus sends to the seven churches late in the first century in Asia Minor, what's now Western Turkey. And in the letter of Laodicea, he says, I know your deeds, you're neither hot or cold, and I wish that you were either one. I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth because you're not. Have you ever... Okay, this just maybe this happens at our house. In our house, I had to put a circulating pump on our hot water because it, our water lines would freeze in the wintertime. And so there's a particular way you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to run a third line. You're supposed to have a hot water line and a cold line and then the, this recirculating line. And the purpose of this recirculating line is so when you go to the sink, you can turn it on and you get cold water right away and you can turn it hot and you get hot water right away. Otherwise, if you live in a house that's got a long run, you gotta wait for the hot water to get there, right? Well, there's a cheat. There's a way you can cheat. That's what I did on ours. I just hooked the hot water and the cold water together, put a valve in there. Now, when you get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, what you realize is if you want to drink a water and you don't want it to be lukewarm, you better get that first four and a half seconds of water. Turn it on and stick your cup under there right away because if it's any longer than that, all of a sudden it's lukewarm unless you stand there for four minutes and wait for the cold water to get there. So like most of us at some point, I've walked over to the filling it up and I go to take a drink and what do you want to do? It's lukewarm, you want to spit it out, right? 
None of us, none of us go to the fountain and go, boy, I hope I get a shot of lukewarm water today. I want to smell everything that's in that hot water heater just before I take a drink. None of us want that, right? You want hot water or you want cold water. So this passage of Scripture has been misinterpreted so many times we often think that if Jesus is tired of the church being mamby-pamby and middle of the road, rather he would be that we, he'd rather that we're passionate for him or passionate against him. Well, that's about as foolish of translation as you can get. There is nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture, where Jesus says, I wish that you were passionate for me or passionate against me. That's not what it means to be hot or cold. You have to look at the context. We have to read what he's talking about. In, in Laodicea, Laodicea actually did not have their own watering system. They imported their water, so to speak. Uh, Rome used aqueducts everywhere. So instead of having their own water, Laodicea received its hot water from the north, a city of Hierapolis, which was famous for these healing hot springs. So they would take this water that's just bubbling out of these hot springs, and they would pump it down a concrete tube for about 11 miles, and it would get down to Laodicea. And guess what? When it got there, it wasn't hot. It was kind of warm. And they didn't have a source for cold water either. Their cold water actually came from the city of Colossae, which is where we get the letter of Colossians. Colossae had cold water coming right out of the mountains. It was, it was snow melt out of the mountains. But that they had to pump nine miles through the same type of concrete tubes. And so guess what? You couldn't go to the sink and get cold water either. Everything was just all kind of lukewarm. And so it didn't, you couldn't get a hot cup of tea without boiling some water. You couldn't get a cold glass of iced tea without cooling some water. Everything that came out was lukewarm. And God says, I'd rather just spit you out of my mouth. Unfortunately, by the time that water got there, it was not worth listening. To, um, at Richard O'Brien, who's an author, wrote a book called uh, Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes. And he says this, <clears throat> Jesus wished his people were hot like the hot waters of Hierapolis or cold like the fresh waters of Colossae. Instead, their discipleship was utterly unremarkable. You come to church, you do your thing, you walk out, you never change. Utterly unremarkable. We're not people that reach out. And I, and I would venture to say if you look at most of the church in the United States today, we're pretty much unremarkable. We kind of come and we get our cup sort of full. Not full enough to run over. We don't really want to do that. But we just get our cup kind of sort of full. And then we, we walk out. The problem wasn't that Laodicea lacked zeal. The problem was that the church, again, according to this author, was good for nothing. So why describe the church as lukewarm? The answer is found in the next verses. And again, please even consider the United States in this. You say you're rich. I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Laodicea 
as a city had a reputation for its many banks. It actually had a medical school. In that medical school, they were, they were well known for having this eye salve that, that was, had healing virtues. And they also had a clothing industry. They were well known. You don't have to believe me. You can go back and read about this. They were well known for having black wool. They had dyes that they would make black wool. And so they were, they were this, this, they had banking and they had medicine and they had, they had fashion, they had all this stuff. And yet Jesus said, you're wretched and you're pitiful and you're poor. I believe that what he was saying to them was not so much that they lacked fervor, but rather that they were just dependent on themselves. And as a nation... I believe we are a people that are so self-reliant. We've got so much prosperity. We've got everything we need that we don't really even need to turn to God on a regular basis. Most of us in this room can pay our car payment and we can pay our house payment without ever having to cast a prayer of help for God. Most of us, we can go to the grocery store and we can write out a check and things might get a little bit tough and maybe we got to buy groceries this week and split it and wait till we get the check next week to pay the insurance. But we can handle all of that on ourself. And if we can't, if we can't, and shame on you, what is your problem? You're an American. Get out of bed in the morning and go to work. Get this figured out, Right? I'm sorry to say, I'm sorry to say, but I'm as guilty as the rest. I find somebody standing on a corner begging for quarters. I'm thinking, turn around and get a job. It was right behind you. Get a job. Should they work? Absolutely they should work, but we've come to the point where we are so self-reliant that we will judge others in a heartbeat. Laodicea, I believe, even though their water source was vulnerable, even though their banking was vulnerable, even though they could make all kinds of black linen, they didn't have the white linen that they needed from Jesus. They weren't looking for his righteousness. They're functioning in their own righteousness and were that very much that same way. Their wealth and their prosperity had fostered an attitude of worldliness. They were lukewarm about the truth. Hang on, hang on. They were lukewarm about the truth. They were lukewarm about their obedience to the commandments. They were lukewarm about their mission to preach the gospel. Instead, they decided we don't have need of anything. As a matter of fact, we can kind of do it our own way, and we're going to serve God on our own terms. And I am reticent to say just how much that is a picture of the church of Jesus Christ today. More people come into my office and leave angry because we don't get to do the gospel on our terms. We don't get to do church the way we want to. Right? Wait a minute. We don't get to do the gospel on our terms. We don't get to do church the way we want to. Right? You don't get to live your life and say, oh, I'm a Christian. Where's the weed? 
I'm a Christian, we should go out and party tonight. I've been saying this week after week after week. If there is not transformation in our life, I'm not convinced that there's salvation. If there's not transformation in our life, I'm not convinced that there's salvation. They were looking for, they had black garments. They had black garments, they had black wool. They're famous for their black wool. And Jesus said, what you need is white garments. You need my righteousness. We're the same way. You realize as a nation, the highest court in our land is now, today, over the next couple of weeks, trying to decide if we should be able to murder babies? I got an answer for you. No! No! You say, well, pastor, you don't know how I got. It doesn't make any difference how you got there. Abortion is wrong. This should, you, you know, there was a time in our nation when, when one man thought it was legal and right and just fine to own another man. Do you know we lived in a nation where we could buy and sell? As a matter of fact, you wouldn't want to be white, but if you were black, I could buy and sell Bear all day long. He's doing his job just fine or he's not. He made me mad. And so I can turn around and sell him. Is that right? Just because we did it, is that right? It's deplorable to God. It took believers standing up and saying, this is wrong and we're going to stand against it. And now we look at this thing called slavery and we say, no way, absolutely, no, it's unbelievable. No, 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 there's no way we could do that. That should be our heart against abortion. No way, it's so deplorable. How could we even have considered that possibly right? You sit down, thanks man. He, he knows it. He sits in the front row. It's his own choice. <laughs> he could save that row for any one of you, but he sits there every week. So he knows. Matter of fact, there are some others <coughs> who, who've moved because of the front row. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I'm good with that. Here's the deal. Bruce, Bruce Beckman would say in our men's group, I heard him say it once. I heard him say it a hundred times. He would say, it happened on our watch. It happened on our watch. Our generation's responsible. Our generation's responsible. That happened on our watch. You know what? It shouldn't happen on our watch. We should be petitioning heaven. We should be pouring our guts out and praying. God, change the, change the minds and the heart of the people who make the laws. Our men's group has been praying about abortion for a year and a half, two years. We've been praying, God, bring this to an end. Bring it to an end. Bring it to an end. Bring it to an end. We've begun praying, God, would you give the Supreme Court justices horrifying dreams? Help them to see what this looks like. Would you bring... Why? Because we want it to change. The church should be about change. We should not be about, well, you know, life is good for me now. All of a sudden, I got Jesus. And I sure hope the rest of the world gets Jesus because it's such a good place. I just wish they'd change the programming on TV. Stop watching it. Write somebody. Send a letter. Instead of sitting on a chair, get on your knees. We don't want to be that church anymore. We're just lukewarm. It's just fine the way it is. Oh, it should get better. We have the right, we have the ability, we should have the passion to to petition heaven every day. 
If, you, if you've heard about Roe v. Wade since the 1970s, if you've heard that our Supreme Court is considering this and you're not praying, you're missing it. We should be petitioning heaven. We should be praying. We should be fasting. We should, we should thank God that our nation has the opportunity to get it right again. Right? 20 years from now, somebody should stand up and say, you know, there was a time when people believed that they could kill babies in the womb and it was okay. In the knitting factory. That knitting factory is sacred. Right? I'm not saying that as Americans we got it all right or that we got it all wrong, but we don't have enough within us to know the righteousness of God. About eight weeks ago, I got a little set of these things called hearing aids. When the doctor did my report, if this was a piece of paper, she said, over here is the bass guitar. I gotta put this back in, I can't hear myself. And over here are birds. And somewhere in the middle is the human voice. And she said, I don't want to tell you what your picture looks like. You come across from bass guitar and you get about halfway through the human voice and it drops off like a rock and comes across. And a whole quarter of my hearing is gone. Quarter of my hearing. So if you sat in my office, I'd just pray that you'd repeat that sentence again and I'd get a little closer and turn just a little... I understand it. We'd have this conversation because I couldn't hear Jack. And she says, Pastor, what we want to do is we want to get you back in the land of the hearing. And I walked outside that door about four weeks ago when the birds came back. I got no idea how long it's been since I've heard birds. But I stood there for probably three minutes and listened to the birds across the street. All through the book of Revelation, these first three chapters, John says over and over and over again, Jesus says over and over again, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. What God is saying to the church, let them hear, let them hear, let them hear. It's good to hear. It's good to hear. You say, well, where do I get that spiritual hearing aid? Right here. Right here. I got to walk around now. You saw, maybe you saw me run out of the, out of the, when music started. I didn't go to get my phone so that I could pick up calls. I go to get my phone so I could adjust what I hear from the speakers because it's different when I'm up here preaching than it is when I'm listening to worship. You want to adjust your hearing? You got to adjust your hearing according to this. According to this. Listen, listen. Chapter, I got to go back. I'm on chapter seven. I go back to chapter five or page five here. Sometimes you think I preach a chapter at a time. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. We think if God disciplines us, he doesn't like us. Is that why we discipline our kid, you dirty little scoundrel? (laughs) No. It's because I don't want you to run out in the street and I'd rather give you a smack on the bottom than have you get hit by a car. Right? Right? Oh, no, don't, don't spank him. Do you want him to get hit by a car? Don't touch the stove, it's hot. But I want to touch the stove. Don't touch the stove, it's hot. But I want to touch the stove. Don't touch the stove. That hurt. Nothing compared to what a third-degree burn does. Right? 
God says, I love you, and so I'm going to rebuke you on occasion, and I'm going to discipline you, so earnestly repent. Be earnest about your faith and turn back to me. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, open the door. Come in and sit. Get your hearing aids tuned up. Come and sit. Get your hearing tuned up. Hear what I'm saying. Stop relying on yourself. Stop thinking that you got this all figured out. Stop thinking that you don't need anybody but you. Because it's wrong. You is the one who got you in trouble in the first place. Right? Me is the one who got me in trouble all the time. You want to get you out of trouble, start listening to God. He knows the beginning from the end, right? This, this is not rocket science. I think God hits them right between the eyes. When he talks about their finance, when he talks about their medicine, when he talks about their, their garments, he's hitting them right between the eyes, just like he's doing to us. Wake up. Wake up, church. When we talked last week about Philadelphia, God said, wake up and revive what's left. Do a little chest compressions if you need to. But wake up and revive what's left. Please, please, please hear me when we leave this place. If you know somebody who's had an abortion. I am not here to condemn. I believe there's a mile of hurt before I even get there. That, that's not what I'm saying. I believe God wants to heal. He wants to, he wants to soothe that. He wants to, to let you know that he loves you and he cares about you and he forgives you. All oh, that's real. That's real. It's not for us to jump on somebody when they're down. That's not the purpose. But the reality is we need to know better. We need to know better. You can't go and do an act like that and not have it affect the rest of your life. There's a hurt there. Jesus wants us to, to know better, to follow God. And, and honestly, all the trouble that we get, if we follow the word, you're not going to get in trouble. Bob says it all the time. Been sober 41 years, 4 months, 13 days, 12 hours, and 17 minutes. Haven't been in a cop car in all that time. Well, good, right? Haven't been picked up for a DUI ever since that to 41 years. That's right. We can make that transformation, but I'm telling you, it takes salvation. It takes a call. Toward, we got to call on Christ, and we got to have him come in and sup with us. We have to have him come in and be in our presence. We need to be in his presence. You don't just get to say, well, you know, I'm just going to go to church, but I'm, 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 this terrifies me. As a pastor, this terrifies me. People come to church and think that they're going to heaven because they come to church. You're not. You're not. You're not. You're watching us online, coming to this church, tuning in. That's not what gets you salvation. Salvation is the blood of Jesus Christ, beginning and end. That's it. He paid for our salvation. We need to repent, get our hearts right. And that word repent literally means I'm walking through life doing it Tim's way, and I need to repent because that's the world that's headed to hell. Turn and repent means to turn and go the other way. Go the other way instead of going my way. I need to go God's way. And you can put your name in there. You don't have to say it's my name. You can throw Mitch in there if you want to. Right? You can throw Jeff in there. We can throw Aaron. Put your name in there. You do it your way, you're going to hell even if you're going to church. Well, how do I know if I get it right? Call out to Jesus. Repent. Get serious before him. By the way, I'm not the one who saves you. I can't do it. Not with, he hasn't given me that power. He hasn't given me that ability. That comes through Jesus and him alone. 
There's only one way, Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. It's not about church. It's not about tithing. It's not about giving. Matter of fact, in the Gospels we read that you can lay down your life for somebody. That still isn't enough. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Only through the blood of Jesus Christ. I have absolutely no idea where I'm at in my notes. I believe our nation is at a crossroads. I believe as a people, we need to be praying. We need to be praying fervently for our government. We need to be praying for our leaders. We need to be praying for our Supreme Court. We need to be praying for our neighbors. You need to be an example. We need to be life and light. You and I have the light of the world, Jesus Christ, within us. And he is the only hope that this lost world has. Right? The only repeat verse to every one of those seven churches was he who has an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. I believe the Spirit's saying to us, it's time to get real and to rely on Jesus because we're going to see some hard times coming. And we're going to need to know the Savior of the universe that can dwell in our heart. And you need to know him intimately. You need to know him in that alone, in the closet time where it's just you and him and you shut off everything else. You need to know when he, when he whispers and he wants to lead and, and guide you. I, eight weeks ago, I couldn't hear a whisper from my family. I couldn't barely hear the TV. But now if we get tuned up according to Jesus, we get into his word. The Bible says he speaks to us in a still small voice. You're not going to hear it if you're so distracted with the world. I'll guarantee it. I'll guarantee it. You're going to walk right on by and go, how'd that happen? Why didn't I hear that? Why didn't I know that? It's because we're distracted. Time to have supper with Jesus. For some of us, it's time. Amen? God, I thank you for each person here. I thank you for your word. I think your word is alive. The Bible says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's so sharp that it divides bone and marrow. It's so sharp that it will discern the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And God, you want to work in our hearts. You want to move among us. You want to change us. You want to transform us. You want us to be a living well. Well, we read about that. There's waters, living waters should be coming forth out of us because we are transformed by the blood of Jesus, by the life of Christ. God, you would have us to be those people that speak life. You would have us to be that very unique person, not weird because we go to church, unique because of the blood of Christ, unique because we listen to you, unique because you've changed us and you've transformed us and you've moved on us from the inside out and you want to do that to people around us. We don't just get to be that same old person. God, I pray for anybody in this room that needs to have a meal with you that they would take the time to get away and open the door and just invite you to come in and to sup with them and to listen. 
You want to change us. You want to transform us, God. We can't do it on our own. Move in our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and get yourself a good meal with Jesus this week. Amen.